0: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today I'm going to play another of the 2015 Palenque Norte lectures that were delivered during the Burning Man Festival. Our featured speaker is the good friend of my wife and I, Dr. Alicia Danforth, who you may remember is the co-investigator with Dr. Charlie Grobe and who are studying the potential that MDMA may have to lessen some of the social anxiety associated with autism. Now, I know that a lot of our fellow salonners are like I once was, out there at the end of the line with hardly a single person they can get together with to uh, talk about psychedelics, and I know how lonely it can get when you feel that you are the only person in your group who actually understands what psychedelics are all about. So this talk may come as somewhat of a surprise to you, because in this talk, Alicia takes on the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the psychedelic jerk. <laughs> you see, when you're all alone out there, it never dawns on you that if you got 20 or 30 like-minded psychedelic aficionados together, that one of them could turn out to be as much of a jerk as that guy at work who bothers you so much. You wouldn't think that psychedelic people would be like that, but the truth is that just because we are positive about the potential that psychedelics provide for us humans, we are nonetheless uh, still very much human. And like money, psychedelics, without a lot of work on your part, will only make you more of what you already are. And if someone was a jerk before well, they can easily become a psychedelic jerk. Now, Alicia, being a young professional woman, is going to be much kinder about these power freaks, but being a much older person, (laughs) I am more free to talk about these people in less gentle terms. Granted, uh, some of our community leaders can get a little pushy and overinflated about themselves from time to time, but there's another category of psychedelic jerk that, well, you've really got to look out for. And uh, that is what I very unprofessionally <laughs> call a nut job, a wacko, a seriously fucked up person. And believe me, if you are ever fortunate enough to become involved in a large psychedelic community, you're going to come into contact with one or two of these people as well. And speaking from experience, the best thing that I've found to do, uh, should one of these freaks ever begin stalking you, is to completely ignore them. For you, this person does not exist. Don't acknowledge them in any way, and eventually they'll find somebody else to put their crazy on. Anyway, let's return to the 2015 Burning Man Festival, where Alicia Danforth has just begun delivering her Palenque Norte lecture.
1: A place for us to come together and talk about new ideas and exchange information with each other. I am going way out on a limb. This is probably my biggest... Burning Man Challenge. Um, I am very accustomed to working with lots of data and PowerPoints and all sorts of security blankets when I give talks. And Palenque Norte is really all about giving speakers an opportunity to try out new material and speak from the heart. So this is unfamiliar territory for me, but there is something that's been weighing on my mind and my heart for several years now and I thought I want to draw power and strength from my community to help address some issues that have been uh, very persistent for a couple of years. Uh, The title of the talk suggests that I'm going to be talking about power and I'm hoping that this talk will be somewhat of an alchemical process where I start by talking about something kind of negative but I hope together we will explore some of these topics and come out with something solution-oriented and more positive to help us move towards healthier communities and healthier personal relationships with psychedelics. So, as John mentioned, um, I'm a researcher. I work with I've worked with psilocybin and MDMA-assisted therapy in research settings for the same amount of time. I've also worked in harm reduction, and I've also been part of other communities that uh, accept the use of psychedelics. And in addition to that, I also started a community last year in Los Angeles for women who have an interest in psychedelics. And a bit to my dismay, I'll admit I was a bit naive, in all of these settings, I did not anticipate pervasive and persistent problems with individuals who are challenged with managing power. This theme has come up over and over again and there are some perspectives I want to share with you that I think sometimes in communities that maybe overemphasize the positive there's some topics related to power that really need to be discussed if our communities are going to be sustainable and healthy. So I'm going to start by sharing with you a quote that really influenced me at the very beginning of my career as a psychedelic researcher. By chance, I stumbled across a quote. It was in the Maps Bulletin, and uh, it was by Martina Hoffman, the artist. And she said, There are truths more fundamental and significant than the laws of men intoxicated with power. And for whatever reason, that really resonated with me. I printed it out, taped it up on the refrigerator, and my relationship with that quote changed over the years. In the very beginning, when I was first becoming aware of the power of psychedelic medicines, I really put the emphasis on the word laws. I didn't understand the scheduling system. I didn't understand the rationale how politics could trump science, in terms of getting substances to individuals who are suffering. So for me, it was all about these laws and questioning them and challenging them and wondering, how can we change these laws? Several years into working uh, as a researcher, my relationship with that quote shifted. And when I would recite it to myself, it sounded something like this. There are truths more fundamental and significant than the laws of men intoxicated with power. I was very frustrated by the sexism that I encountered. I wasn't anticipating finding it in my psychedelic communities. I might have placed a bit of naive hope in the feminizing power of psychedelics. And it has been an ongoing struggle, and it continues to be. But I'm seeing change in positive directions. So I'm no longer feeling as motivated to speak out about gender Issues in psychedelic science in particular, there's been a lot of progress in that regard. So now, I'm really focused on this issue of power. I kind of ignored the last part of of the quote. This notion of being intoxicated with power. What does power have to do with psychedelic medicines? I decided to take a closer look at the power problem and just kind of idly thinking it over one night, I did a Google search of power and psychedelics and it turned up 515,000 hits. So I'm not the only one who's thinking about these two themes. This book was published, um, Tom Schroeder's book, Acid Test. You might have seen it. Um, The subtitle is LSD, Ecstasy, and the Power To heal. What is the word power doing in this title? Whose power? Who holds the power? What's the source of this power? Is the power in the substance itself? Is the power in the substance provider? is the power found in the co-collaboration between the substance and the individual who uses it. In our work, we're really influenced by the work of Michael and Annie Mitover, the husband and wife team that has been doing the MDMA-assisted therapy studies for PTSD, and they place a lot of emphasis on the notion of the wise inner healer. I like to believe that that's where the power resides. And the individual working with the substance to bring about healing. But I'm not sure this distinction is always clear amongst the broader community. So to give you a sense of what I'm getting at here, it's a little subtle, but I want you to notice how your body responds when I read this title in two different ways. So the first is as it's written. LSD, ecstasy, and the power to heal. In comparison, how does this feel? LSD, ecstasy, in the service of healing. There's a difference. And when you're not clear, that power uh, to heal can be interpreted in kind of a creepy way. I am the wizard who holds the power. It's a bit like the ring in The Lord of the Rings. My precious, I've got the power. So last night, uh, Chris Pesa gave a talk about uh, how to keep our communities healthy. And he talked about the fact that, you know, it's easy to get caught up in this notion that the threats come from without the government the government's going to stop us. Uh, in my experience in the science world, that hasn't been the case. The FDA and the DEA have been quite reasonable to work with. And uh, the inner threats have been far more distracting, um, waste of time and resources. So I want to, instead of looking without, to the powers that be that might be trying to prevent us from using the substances of our choice, using our medicines, the way we decide is best for ourselves, regulatory agencies preventing us from doing science. Let's look within for a moment and look at some of the inner threats that might be a bit more problematic. So how to recognize power problems? What are we talking about here? So I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have encountered individuals who disrupt communities due to their unhealthy relationships with power? This is something most, pe- most people in the room are familiar with. So keep your hands up if you have encountered this problem specific to psychedelic communities or groups where there have been powers with, problems with power. A few. Okay. Okay. So what am I talking about here? What does this look like when it shows up? seems like it might be a new topic for a lot of people in the room. So often the individuals who are disruptive in our communities, they often present with narcissistic or grandiose behaviors. What are we talking about here? I have a list of 10 attributes, behaviors to look out for. So... They're often extremely charming. It's very hard to believe any you know, uh, negative feedback that someone might give you about them because they're extremely charming. They make a great first impression often. They know a lot of people, but if you look closely, they often have few, if any, really healthy relationships. They uh, show excessive self-interest, They are often excessively self-serving and manipulative without regret for the consequences. They're unable to accept responsibility for negative outcomes and they'll often present with a lack of empathy and they may be quick to steal credit for other people's work. They can become rageful if you ever counter them. This charming individual can turn on a dime and suddenly present with a rage that can even be frightening, and they find it very difficult to ever apologize. They're often very controlling. They have a my way is the best and only way attitude, and they tend to isolate dissenters. Many, many times when these sorts of problems are going on with power relationships and group, the people who are being affected by it are afraid to speak up because this charming individual Has worked the group in a way that they're afraid of negative repercussions if they cross them. Ironically, they'll often admit that they are narcissists. It's kind of surprising. They won't have a problem admitting it and there seems to be kind of a lack of shame. And another way to identify narcissists or individuals who are abusing power in our communities, they often love and are drawn to other narcissists. They feed the narcissistic source in the other, as opposed to... You might think the dynamic would look something like this. No, I'm the most special. No, no, I'm the most special. I'm the most important and powerful person here, but instead, the loop looks very validating. Yeah, you are the best. No, you're the best. We're the best, and we're better than all the rest. So watch for that dynamic developing. And here's the big giveaway. If none of this has really seemed familiar to you, you might be aware of these individuals that everybody seems to be talking about all the time. They get talked about a lot behind their backs. they they've often intimidated the rest of the group members into being afraid to confront them directly. There's often a lot of chatter in the background. Did you hear what so-and-so did? I can't believe he did that. Did you hear what he said or she said? So um, those are some of the telltale signs to look for if a member in your community is abusing power. So what's wrong with a little narcissism? What's wrong with a little fame and glamour? So there's room for all types. We need our performers. We need our charismatic um, spokespersons, individuals who... You know, uh, inspire imagination, uh, inspire people to contribute uh, financially or in other ways to, you know, a growing psychedelic community. Is psychedelic celebrity a problem? Inherently, no, not really. So we we have room for some peacocks. You know, look at me, and I'm psychedelicier than thou that's that's <laughs> that's okay until until it undermines scientific integrity and the credibility of the record that's one area in which it becomes problematic. if someone gets so caught up in this notion of being a psychedelic rock star in the in the limelight i 've been you know flown to this fancy international conference, and all these people have come to see me. My results from my study better be spectacular i 'm famous, which by the way, I just have to say, I think no one, with the exception of maybe Timothy Leary, is famous in any psychedelic community they 're well known in a very small niche community relative to the larger population, so watch out for that notion of the psychedelic rock star. Another uh, instance in which it really isn't okay is when the power is abused. Individuals in psychedelic states are hyper-suggestible. Dr. Charles Grobe and Marlene Del Rios actually published on this topic in the 90s, if you're curious and you want to take a deeper look at it. They talked about problems of abuse and what it means when somebody who is intoxicated with power Capitalizes on individuals in hypersuggestible suggestible states And abuses power when individuals are open and vulnerable Here's an example Many of you are probably familiar with are The abuses that take place in shamanic settings When the shaman doesn't follow an appropriate code of ethics And transgresses often in you know, in terms of committing sexual offenses, but those are examples of people taking advantage of hyper-suggestibility. It's a problem. A third problem, and this is the one that has probably been the biggest drain on me personally in terms of my time and resources, is individuals who are abusing power in psychedelic communities often divide them. They create a very divisive presence. I think intuitively they know divided we fall if they are interested in power and control they want to sever strong bonds between other individuals in the group so they have a very you know you're for me or against me attitude watch for that be mindful if that's going on in groups in which you participate uh, they also uh, you, know, you know they want to know you know if I, if I can't control you then there're going to be repercussions. So, so those are those are three areas where, you know, uh, this kind of narcissistic narcissistic behavior can really become problematic. So, questions to ask yourself if you are doubting, uh, you know, the influence of of someone in close proximity to you or in groups that you support or participate in, Um, when someone appears to be abusing power or making a power grab that seems somehow inappropriate, what are their qualifications? Are they a self-proclaimed guru or expert? Are they claiming authority that they really haven't earned? How long since their first psychedelic experience or their first really powerfully transformative psychedelic experience That's a good thing to know because often people will go through a period of ego inflation and expansion and some of that grandiosity is part of a normal healthy transitional process. I've been given a vision about how I'm going to change the world. I have a mission now and there can be a sense of inflation, um, an enhanced sense of importance, uh, a sense of meaning and purpose. And it it can be part of a normal growth process. Um, What to look out for. The warning sign is often when that language starts sounding more like, I'm going to crack the code. I'm going to figure it all out. I'm going to reach God and get the answer. And it's now part of my mission to enlighten all of humanity. Um, Okay. So what is their stated motive? If they are assuming a position of power and leadership, uh, do their actions match what they state as their mission or their claim to power? Are they presenting original work? Or are they rehashing the work of others and taking credit for it? Is there evidence of secondary motives? Is there a lot of self-aggrandizement, craving for validation and recognition? and a tip-off can be uh, how do they behave in social media? What are they posting? What are they sharing? How are they promoting themselves and their claim to power? And a tip-off, and I, my apologies if I'm offending anyone in here, but it's, I, I've seen this time and time again. A tip-off for me is always when I see a post that starts, I am humbled to announce. To me, I, that translates to you're about to read a big brag. So are they involved in empire building? Are they really invested in building community? Are they engaged in any form of seduction? Are they trying to actually seduce you? Do they want sex? Do they want money? Are they in it for personal gain? You know, Are they more interested in street cred? or doing the work to earn actual credibility. And a last tip I have to help recognize when individuals are engaging in unhealthy power relationships in your communities, are they grounded in a religion or a commitment to another practice that will sustain them over the long haul? Do they follow a code of ethics? Where's their anchor? to just pause and ask for a moment what is your relationship to power? Are you interested in being a rock star? Psychedelics part of that? Do you want to make a big noise? Do you want to be seen and heard? Or are you feeling called to use your power to be of service? Do you want to be a real change agent? Or do you want to just control people and be popular? So when I look to role models in terms of how to manage power, I think of Sasha Shulgin in his tiny little shed where he did his great work. And I think I'm reminded uh, friends of mine were invited to visit Albert Hoffman at his home outside of Basel in Switzerland. And it was the most natural thing in the world for him to greet them and offer them some plum schnapps from a tree that he grew on his own property. He was very humble and down to earth and grounded and made them feel extremely welcomed in his home. I think of Kat Harrison and how how she's devoted so much of her life's energy and work to being out in the field cultivating relationships with the plants and how she presents her her amazing body of work with so much humility. She's so humble, and I wonder where she gets her inspiration. So meditating a little bit more on this notion of the value of humility, I thought to myself that one place to look for role models is also to the, the sacred medicines, the plants themselves look at the kinds of plants that we revere in the psychedelic community and I know I'm focusing primarily on plant-based medicines but just roll with this for a minute think about, think, think about our medicines in, in the psychedelic community we have the mushroom a lot of people find mushrooms so repulsive they won't even touch them they're thought of as slimy and unattractive the ergot fungus that grows on rye the Bonasteriopsis copy vine you would never give it a second glance as you're strolling through the forest. Salvia, it can be a little prettier sometimes. The aboga plant, peyote, San Pedro, they're not orchids and dahlias. They aren't hothouse flowers that you'd see in a big fancy flower show. In terms of keeping our community healthy and in terms of cultivating healthy relationships with power, I like to look to the power of the mycelium. The largest living organism on the planet is mycelium. This, you know, humble living network that grows underground, unnoticed, until it's ready to send up its brooding bodies and share the labor with the rest of the world and send its spores out in the humble little mushroom can we be okay with invisibility you know can we lead from the back of the room and come forward when the time is right instead of clamoring for the spotlight all the time so as I conclude I just again, wanted to shift the focus to something positive and just uh, consider a couple points about how to keep our communities healthy regarding checks and balances for power. You know, how do we do that? What, what can you do if, if somebody who is engaging in these narcissistic or grandiose behaviors is causing disruption in your community? Well, one thing that has proven to be very effective is cultivating a council of elders. Individuals with integrity who have proven that they are reliable and trustworthy over time and individuals who are open to being sources of sage advice. Seek counsel. Maintaining a gender balance. I realize it's a controversial thing to say but we need to mitigate the effects of testosterone and an overemphasis on male and masculine approaches. We need balance. We need to include persons of all genders in the dialogue. We need to develop rituals and ethics codes and values that help keep the community cohesive and healthy and help us to be able to recognize behaviors that aren't acceptable I also advise writing them down. Help solidify those values that the group agrees to live by. Now here's, here's another one. You know how I mentioned earlier that individuals engaged in power abusives frequently inspire other people to talk about them a lot? Well, sometimes you have to fight fire with fire and gossip is a very effective tool and I was having a hard time with this one I felt as if I was gossiping about certain individuals quite a bit as I was asking around and trying to get information are other people seeing these behaviors and uh, Bob Jesse who heads up the, the Council of Spiritual Practices he gave me some really good advice and helped me reposition this one I'll pass it on to you he said there's a difference between gossip and reputation checking so don't be afraid to Question the, you know, question power. Question the claims to authority of of people who are uh, abusing power in your communities. Find out about them. Find out how they have been received in other communities. Find out, are they credible? You know, should you be listening to them? Are they dangerous? It's okay if we're going to give lip service to functioning in kind of neo-tribal fashion. Tribes talk. and uh, sometimes the outcome in in more tribal models uh, when (laughs) enough people are talking and they realize someone's behavior is unacceptable sometimes as a last resort we have to consider shunning and shaming every time I say those words it makes me a little uncomfortable But it can be done with love and compassion. And what that looks like is your behavior is not in accord with the values of this community. You're going to need to sit the next one out. Do you need resources or other support to help get your act together? And the lovely thing about systems that work like this, if an individual is able to grow and amend their ways, they'll be invited back in. And finally, I would just encourage everybody to find the bravery to speak truth to power. Don't be afraid to speak up because often these individuals who are abusing power in communities, they're bullies and they're intimidating. But if you stand your ground and speak from your truth and call them out, they'll back down when they understand that they can't control you. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, one last little thing I'll share with you to help you uh, be aware when somebody might be abusing power, what it sounds like. I'm going to read an actual statement that an individual who was abusing power and causing a lot of problems in multiple communities, what it sounds like when somebody is empire building for self serving purposes and using psychedelics in a very seductive way Uh, to manipulate others, to gain control. It sounds something like this. This is an actual statement that was posted. My job here is teaching you the magical and mysterious ways of the plant gods and goddesses. Many of you are new to our group, and one privilege of organizing this group is that... it. uh, sorry the light's changing I can't see is a group that is amazing is that we have such great mindful members we respect each other and have safe boundaries for this group to grow the key is to keep coming back We have many kinds of brilliant people at the top of their respective fields who show up and are members of our group. You may be surprised when you realize there's a whole world of psychedelic scholars and super fun people waiting to connect with you. It seems innocuous enough, but on closer inspection, what this individual was doing was trying to make money off of reaching out to isolated and ill-informed individuals to get them to pay him money to come into a group where they would feel special and embraced and loved. He was capitalizing on people who were disenfranchised, who felt disconnected and were looking for community and was misappropriating the power of, of psychedelics to manipulate others Um, So I just wanted to share that as an example of how charming and how appealing it can sound when someone is actually uh, making a power play and attempting to seduce people who are hurting and lonely and excluded into a community of special people. So this is the first time I've presented on this topic. I don't have any hard and fast conclusions, but I hope that... In some regard, it's been helpful to pause and consider areas in which psychedelic communities may be vulnerable to uh, abuses of power, and that by maybe considering some of the attributes of individuals who abuse power, you may have your eyes more open to things that might be going on in your own communities and may feel more empowered to speak up when you're seeing individuals who are abusing power. So I'm going to stop there and I'll, I'll open it to open the floor to questions if anybody has any follow up questions. Thank you. Annie has a question here. Guys. <laughs> there's a question right behind you. They'll pass the mic to you. Well, oh, behind you, there's a question and then we'll pass the mic. Yeah. Actually, you were describing a sociopath more than a narcissist because your description is textbook of a sociopath and one thing that you said about that was that they divide groups and they do they they talk about one group as, as being in a very kind way impaired so if that group has anything to share about this person the other group thinks oh they're impaired you can't really believe what they say And so one way to uh, facilitate some kind of reconciliation or something is to almost have a forum, get those different groups together Mm -hmm. to share their information without fear. Yeah, it's kind of a combination of the Council of Elders and the reputation check. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, originally I'd broken the... It got very complex, breaking down narcissism, sociopathy, psychopathy, and it got too complex, but, but but... that's yes, textbook. Yeah. Textbook sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Behind you? Thank you so much for all your meticulous research and for encouraging other women to be psychedelic researchers and powerful in this community. I really appreciate it. My question is, um, what would be your advice if um, you found yourself uh,
1: working closely with somebody who you felt was abusing
2: power in this way and it was clear that you needed to form a more healthy relationship with that person
1: in order to fulfill an important role or complete an important project for the good of the entire community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, great question. I would my f- initial response is, uh, work on yourself first and do the deep introspective work to understand what your own boundaries are. Where are you willing to give? where are you, where are your line in the sands? And then whatever it takes for you to summon up the power, it takes courage. It takes bravery. It takes a willingness to put yourself in the line of fire and be ready for the repercussions. So you know put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And know what your boundaries are. Know, yeah, I, I know I'm being a little bit repetitive, but know where you're willing to be flexible. But then when you mean it, say it like you mean it. I, In case you haven't noticed, I am a very gentle person. I have, I'm soft-spoken. I'm quiet. I tend to observe, and I'm reluctant to come forward and speak strongly. Really know what your values are really understand what you're willing to fight for and find your bigger voice and think about you know, your own comfort level in terms of how you want to deliver that message to the other person if you can't do it face to face which I always recommend could you do it over the phone could you do it in writing are there repercussions about doing it in writing really consider the method that you're going to use to deliver your message consider the value of triangulating with a third, preferably neutral party to witness the conversation that takes place. So it's not a he said, or she said, she said, he said, whatever combination, uh, but that, that there is somebody... Who can, who can verify what actually took place in the conversation. And don't feel an immediate need to respond in the moment in a knee-jerk fashion. Give yourself all the time you need until you feel that you can stand strong and be ready if that narcissistic rage comes your way and have a plan. If they do yell and scream, if they do rant and rage, if they do maneuver to take action against me, what is your plan? What are your safe spaces? Who are your allies? Who will back you up? And so, don't be in a hurry. Know your own boundaries, and uh, you know, summon your courage. Don't be afraid to be brave, because more often than not, they'll back down. They're busy trying to control a whole bunch of other people, and they'll often give up if they realize that it's not going to work with you. So, thank you. Yeah. Hi, I also have a question. Um, do you think that there are also people who are not like conscious about abusing
2: power in this position? Oh most, want, most definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah a lot yeah. of times they'll, they'll have a stated motive. And, and if you really listen, you get the sense that they believe you know what they're telling you, but l- look past what they're saying and look and see if their actions, if there may be secondary motives that aren't even that, that the individual's not even aware of but, you know, you know, you know, honor what they say, but really observe what they're doing. Do they match? And, and often it is the case that they're not aware, and that's another case for speaking up. Sometimes it's just a matter of
2: holding up that mirror. Do you think uh, some of this may be a product of the fact that this is um, in a context of prohibition? Because um, what I've started to observe a little bit is um, many of the people that get drawn to these types of things are kind of uh, already kind of out there or already on the fringe (laughs) already um, and that this is they're attracted to yet another thing on the fringe Um, and I'm curious if as this um, this work comes more into the light and is maybe better regulated or has more guidelines or just has a stronger, more vigilant community that many of these problems may be lessened
1: yeah, yeah that that prohibition issue is really interesting, and I, in the longer version of this talk, I had a bullet point about this concept of i 'm special, the rules are for fools, rules are for ordinary, common people i 'm above that i they don 't apply to me i 'm special, and I think that prohibition aspect can be very enticing to somebody who has a self-perception of being above the rules being extraordinary and I I have to ask myself frequently what's the difference between having a rules are for fools attitude and conscious rejection of unjust laws you know I I, my background is uh, I, I worship in the Quaker tradition and Quakers show up and witness you see something going on you know you call it out so, another part of that is, you know, civil disobedience. You know, conscientious objectors. Uh, the distinction can be really fine, and I think the whole prohibition aspect of, of it muddies it. And, and I do, I do think if we can move beyond prohibition, it will be easier to establish codes of ethics and guidelines and. You know community values, but right now it does attract rebels and people who like fighting the system. You know,
2: so. just happy. Oh, excuse me. Just happy to be here. I love my life. You know. <laughs> hope you guys all love your lives. It's so much. I feel like working on ourselves first. You know. And I saw this book when I was at Winco, and the title was somebody can't drive you crazy if you don't give them the keys. You know, so it's that don't, you know, don't feed the troll kind of thing, you know. A lot of times just in in our head, you know, we have these conversations, these projections of, you know, before it even happens and you see yourself arguing, you know, with the person before it even happens, you know. And I think we just need to get to a point where we start Thinking about the conversations that we want to have the way we want it to be, instead of you know you know resisting against it and you know charging you know our thought process in a more positive you know just stream, uh, yeah. That's it. I love you guys. I'm so happy <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, you, you spoke. For a second on um, uh, counteracting testosterone and you know sexism or and whatnot um, I guess to to you uh, what does that look like um, or just you know specifically how does that come out or what are what are traits that come out that you can point to um, you know and what does uh, what does testosterone look like versus uh, female energy coming forth and leading the way.
1: Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge topic, and I'm aware it's kind of a minefield. Um, what does it look like in my day to day work as a researcher? What kind of situations do I encounter? Or what does it look like? Oftentimes, it looks like assumptions made on old and obsolete paradigms, like who's going to bring the coffee in, and who's going to clean up the mess afterwards, and who's going to be the first author, and uh, you know who's going to fulfill which role on a team. A lot of times, there's assumptions uh, based that are more gender-based. Um, uh, it can involve um, exclusion of. Of you know females just Mm -hmm. by not having prior experience of uh, non-males taking part in certain activities or fulfilling certain roles, Um, uh, it's it's a little difficult to it's it's pervasive. You know it when it's going on. Um, It can have to it can have a lot to do with who gets hired, who gets promoted with commensurate experience. Um, who is even considered for certain roles it um, 's kind of at a more macro level um, yeah, and it can go going down to the micro level it can be who 's expected to pick up the dishes after lunch you know <laughs> and uh, oftentimes I, I, you know don 't get me wrong i love I love testosterone, I need to pull on my own masculine energy when i 'm goal oriented and developing systems that are effective and efficient it's essential in science, it's valuable it's nothing to diminish but it's when the interest of reaching a goal um, sort of supersedes other considerations like collaboration or uh, you know thinking about toppling a vertical hierarchy and what it might mean to work horizontally in a more collaborative uh, you know uh, group oriented fashion these are all broad generalizations and I'm, I'm very concerned in the moment speaking extemporaneously of being sexist in my, own, in my own comments but trying to give you a sense of what it's like to be uh, female in the sciences and uh, male dominated workspaces it's, it's mi- macro micro pervasive and uh, very disheartening at times that being said i work with a majority of men who are very balanced within themselves and can bring forth the best of their masculine and their feminine depending on the task at hand and their outstanding role models and there are individuals who happen to be male that i've worked with for many years who have never you know, made me feel as if I was on the, you know, receiving end of sexism or, or bad behavior in that regard. So, did I answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyone else have a question before we wrap? Is that a question in the chat?
2: Yeah. Um, this question is more relevant to um the concept of masculine and feminine energies. Do you think that um, these, I mean, I mean, the way we're kind of talking about these, they seem like they're polarized. It's like th- like these are masculine qualities and these are feminine qualities. Do you think those are biologically imposed or culturally imposed?
1: Uh, I find it more helpful to think of as a spectrum. You know, cool. <laughs> just and sometimes this, I always think of the mixing boards that audio people use, and it's just sometimes one aspect is dialed way up, kind of like uh, make an unpleasant noise. You need to kind of bring it back down, and and you know the goal that that I'm always striving for is balance.
2: Thank you.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay.
3: Um, relating to being around somebody that might be showing those narcissistic characteristics, um, do you think that, I, I think that it, I guess, I think it is important. I'm one of those people where I see it. I, there's someone recently that I've experienced that with, and I feel the urge to say something. But at the same exact time, my preference is, can't I just remove myself? Because I know I can. Like, I, can, I don't have to be friends with that person. I can just leave mm-hmm. and never speak to them again. But there's that conundrum that's like, but then is that right for me to, like, leave them doing that bad shit to other people? You know, so it's kind of like I was talking about it last night and I was kind of really unsure of what... Because at this point, my reaction has been, I'm just done with that. I want to walk away and I don't ever want to speak to them again. Even not even calling them out on what they've been doing. So do you think that that, do you think that it is always a necessity to call them out on their negative actions? Or do you think sometimes for self-preservation, it's best to just remove yourself?
1: Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, what you're, you're getting to, the, the heart of it is really discernment and wisdom. Um, I work in, 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 uh, as, a, as a therapist with dialectical behavioral therapy, and one of the skills that we teach is, you know, interpersonal relationships and the sort of thought of a triangle diagram. And you're always weighing your objective, the relationship, and your own self-esteem. So giving your space all the time you need to really look at this situation with this individual and ask yourself where are your priorities? Is, your, is, is leaving the relationship with your self-esteem intact your priority and what would that look like? Do you need to speak up or do you need to make a, a, an evasive move like I, I want to get out of this with my self-esteem intact and that looks like just disappearing do you want to preserve the relationship do you think there's something there of value that you want to hang on to and do you want to invest in trying to be in a dialogue with this person that might be reparative Or uh, do you have another objective that that takes precedent over those two? So giving yourself time to imagine scenarios, to consider options. And another thing I would recommend, it kind of goes along with that kind of gossip and people talking about them behind their backs, thing but if you're doing it without malice and you really are consulting, anytime anything's kind of ethically gray like this or interpersonally gray, do you have anybody that you trust that you could consult with who could give you some advice and maybe help you see things from another perspective. And then there's just a point where it's messy and confusing and you just got to go with what you really feel is 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 right for you. So. Yes. One more question.
3: Hi. Um. Hi.
0: I would posit that for myself and probably some others in here we're not part of uh, as formal communities as I think you've laid out in this example. Mm-hmm. However, within social constructs as like a group of friends or other micro-communities I've seen psychedelics infuse themselves in these groups and one other power dynamic that I've noticed that I would love your opinion on is someone in these groups that could be the provider of the substance or someone else making statements like this will help you or as they introduce the substance to others I I have
1: the power to heal I am the wizard it kind of becomes like the ring and the lord of the rings again you know yeah sorry I jumped right on your stage.
0: yeah (laughs) no no totally and so (laughs) when you see these types of behaviors on the micro community side less on the formal or um, kind of world famous side Mm -hmm. what what would you encourage or Mm -hmm. is it like a similar tack that you would take to these types of people uh, this, is,
1: this is really an unpolished answer but call them on their bullshit ask them on what authority they're making those statements and, and say is there literature is there if you really, really want to step it up say are you aware of any peer-reviewed literature are, are, are there data supporting what you're telling me what is your source how did you learn this and cultivate your own sources of, of information, get familiar with how to, you know, call information from Arrowhead or, you know, subscribe to journals, attend conferences, build up your own body of knowledge and wisdom so that you can assess better when somebody's telling you something. Ask them, How do you know this? What are your sources? Cite, cite them, tell me, point me in a direction where I can read something authoritative. Um, and again, Consult with others. Don't take it at face value. If you have that feeling in your gut that somebody may be making a power play and may be presenting themselves as the keeper of the magical powers, and uh, somehow you are dependent on their guidance or wisdom, question that authority and see if you can consult with other sources or get them to back up what they're saying. Thank you, everybody, for coming and being in the kind of audience. You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their
2: lives one thought at a time.
0: And one final comment that I think uh, should be made here is that the prejudice and sexism that uh, some women psychedelic researchers sometimes experience isn't unique to the psychedelic community. Keep in mind that these FDA-approved studies now fall within the realm of the overreaching scientific community. And today, psychedelic researchers are actually part of the scientific and medical establishment. So this is a much more widespread problem than what just affects the psychedelic community. The scientific research community as a whole can uh, maybe use a little more public scrutiny about these issues as well, it seems to me. That said, I find it both wonderful and amazing at How many young people, both men and women, are now being drawn into the organized research of psychedelic medicines, and uh, hopefully they won't be put off by a few jerks in their midst. Now speaking about medical research, I just read a request from our forums uh, urging military veterans who have PTSD and are or have used cannabis to treat it to become involved in a new study. Two groups, uh, Grow for Vets and Care by Design, are currently in the process of recruiting qualified patients for a six-month research project that intends to demystify the healing connection between veterans, PTSD, and cannabis. And I'll put a link to that study in today's program notes, which uh, you know you can find at psychedelicsalon.com. Also, I want to let you know that uh, out on our forums, a couple of in-person meeting groups have begun to form, and it looks like the one in London and the one in San Francisco are establishing a personal link between them. Now, this is only a baby step of a start, but over time, I hope that it's going to lead to many more of us being able to find the others. And if you recently tried to download some of the Terrence McKenna sound bites that I've posted on our psychedelicsalon.com website... Well, thanks to fellow saloner Jason, I discovered that they, <laughs> well, they hadn't made our transition to our new servers. But I fixed that now, and uh, if these sound-, sound bites prove popular with our fellow saloners, uh, who like to include a little bit of Terrence in with their music, well, I've got a few hundred more that I can upload. But to be honest, uh, Jason is the first person to ever mention them to me. <laughs> so maybe he and I are the only two people who like Terrence in these short segments. Two more quick announcements, and uh, then I'll let you go. First of all, one of our fellow saloners from Russia told me that he now has to use a proxy to reach our podcast. So I took a quick look at some of the countries from which these podcasts have been downloaded, but I discovered that downloads to the Russian Federation comprise about 1% of last month's traffic. Actually, uh, we're still reaching over 100 countries, including Australia, Micronesia, Sweden, the Netherlands the United Kingdom, Mexico, New Zealand, Canada, Croatia, Finland, Norway, the Czech Republic, Ireland, France, Brazil, Austria, Switzerland, Belgium, Japan, Iceland, Estonia, Poland, and Portugal, just to name a few. So the next time you have a toke and are listening to a podcast from here in the salon, you may want to keep in mind that you are not alone. You have fellow saloners who are your friends all over the world. And finally, a quick mention about the paperback copy of my novel, The Genesis Generation. As you know, uh, last March I released a new edition of my novel, both in paperback and in Kindle format. To be honest, I thought that I'd sell a lot of copies of it in paperback format. However, (laughs) the truth wasn't so exciting. I purchased 40 copies myself, and I sent them to friends, family members, and to podcasters who I hoped would interview me and maybe help sell a few copies. But only two of my friends even read the book, and uh, nobody in my family did. (laughs) I don't know if any of the podcasters read it, uh, because the free copies didn't generate a single request for an interview. Now, did I find that discouraging? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. But uh, back when I was practicing law in Texas, there was a saying that has stuck with me. And that is, dance with the one who brung you. Well, about 65 of our fellow salonners actually purchased a paperback copy of my novel, and they are the ones that I've decided to dance with. Now, after I'm dead, these books may be worth uh, more than these wonderful people paid for them. But I don't want to wait until I'm dead to thank them. So, over at CreateSpace, where I published it, I raised the price to $350. (laughs) Amazon, of course, uh, discounted it to around $280. But whatever you do, please don't buy one from Amazon. As of now, the uh, only place to get a copy at a reasonable price is for those who subscribe to our forums as lifetime members at $50 each. They can pay another $10 and I'll send them a paperback copy of the Genesis Generation along with an email letting them know what number copy they have. You see, since this is a print-on-demand publishing company, each copy has the date it was produced printed inside the back of the book. So anyone who purchased a copy before October 1st of this year has one of the first 100 copies. And if you go out to Amazon right now, you'll see that used copies are <laughs> well, they're sell- selling for way more money than the new ones are, which uh, tells you something about the Amazon used book marketplace. The truth, of course, is that it's going to be a long time, if ever, that these books are worth more than the $10 our lifetime members can pay. But who knows? Uh, one day I may even remove that option, and then there will only be a small number of copies that were ever printed. But if you just want to read the book and not have a paper copy, you can still get the Kindle version for only $2.99, and Amazon Prime customers can read it for free. But for what it's worth, you fellow Saloners who now have a paperback copy of my novel are among my very favorite people. Thanks for believing in me. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be careful out there, my friends.